companies that has made it overwhelmingly clear that the vaccines do really good things and have small potential side effects. Right. So at what question do we say enough? I don't want my 10-year-old to take it. Well, that's a separate issue. Right. 10-year-old, that's a separate question. Anyway. Yeah. Rachel Lindsay, Rick Sanchez, Diane Canada, thank you all. Great panel. Really appreciate it. That does it for us tonight. Ashley Banfield and Banfield starts right now. Happy Friday night, everybody. I'm Brian Enton in for Ashley tonight. Thank you for staying up with us or hanging out with us before you go out. Either way, we've got a busy, busy night for you, uh, a jam-packed hour of news for you. Maybe maybe you haven't heard this name in a while. Lori Vallow, the cult mom who murdered her own kids. That nightmare for so many. It all comes to a close Monday at 9 a.m., when Vallow will finally be sentenced. Only three people will be allowed in court to read victim impact statements. And we have one of them live on the show coming up about what she will say to the judge. Also tonight, a situation that made so many of us mad. Carly Russell. We were so panicked when she went missing in Alabama. Police, the feds, the media, Private citizens who went into search mode when Carly reported seeing a toddler on the side of the highway and then vanished. Well, that story fell apart pretty quickly. Carly made it all up. It was a massive waste of police resources. And today, Carly was arrested. She was booked. There's the mugshot right there. Very strange mugshot. Maybe one of the strangest mugshots I've ever seen because I was not expecting her to be smiling. The first thing I thought when I saw that is that it was a yearbook photo, not a mugshot, but but that is the mugshot right there. The misdemeanor charges, they have a lot of people really ticked off tonight. Could they have slapped her with something more serious? Why a misdemeanor? Will she have to pay back all that money? Look at all those searchers. Will she have to pay back all that money? We'll talk about it all coming up. And we continue our coverage of the Long Island serial killer tonight. Rex Huerman's wife has made her first statement since her husband was arrested and charged as a serial killer. I will tell you what she said. We're also going to talk to a forensic psychiatrist tonight about whether warning signs may have actually been uh, missed. But we begin tonight with Lori Vallow's fate, the so-called doomsday cult mom, who was convicted in May of killing her two children and conspiring to kill her husband, Chad Daybell's previous wife, Tammy, is set to be sentenced on Monday. In just a minute, I'll be joined live by one of just three witnesses who are expected to speak at the hearing. Daybell faces 10 years to life in prison on each of the murder and conspiracy to commit murder charges. The death penalty was taken off the table in March. Judge Stephen Boyce is allowing a live stream of the sentencing with court-operated cameras and audio. There will also be one pool photographer allowed inside the courtroom uh, to take photos. You remember, that's a big difference from the trial. Remember, there were no cameras then. They were so strict about it, uh, but they made a different decision for the sentencing. We're going to get to see Lori sentenced. The camera will be allowed inside. The hearing begins 9 a.m. Monday morning. Seating, we are told, will be extremely limited in the courtroom. Only reserved seats are for court personnel, law enforcement, and family members of the victims. The remaining seats will be open to public on a first-come, first-served basis. 
The lines will be long, just like they were for the trial. It's going to be difficult for people to get inside that courtroom. Uh, The prosecution and defense teams will provide sentence recommendations. And then three people, family members of the victims, will be allowed uh, to give victim impact statements. Those three people are J.J. Vallow's grandmother, Kay Woodcock, Tammy Daybell's sister, Samantha G. William, and Tammy Daybell's aunt, Vicki Hoban. Initially, uh, she was not going to be allowed to make a statement in court because she was not an immediate family member. In fact, two weeks ago, she appeared right here on this program telling Ashley just how disturbed she was that she wasn't going to be allowed to speak her truth at the sentencing. The judge this week, though, announced that he will allow Hoban to give a statement in court. Court uh, And Vicki Hoban uh, is with me now. Vicki, thank you so much for being with us tonight. Um, it seems like the judge came to his senses and is now going to allow you you to speak. What, what do you plan to say, Vicki, when you get up there? Oh, boy. Well, I, hi, Brian. Thanks for having hi. me on. Um, I, I'm, <clears throat> I have a lot to say. Um, I am kind of keeping it close to my vest right now. But I will tell you um, one of the things that I am going to address is Lori's attitude in the court throughout the trial. Um, For the most part, people know a little bit about it, but for those of us that were in the courtroom and listening to the uh, testimony, and a lot of it was graphic and hard to hear, especially for family members uh, and law enforcement that um, actually had to work and Uh, take care of the scene, especially with the children. Um, Her just flippant attitude, Mm. uh, her inability to behave herself and to not smirk and laugh and just overall just not understanding and respecting the court. Yeah, I mean, I saw it when I was in the courtroom. You saw it the way that she would smile and, like, joke with her lawyer. You could tell even the lawyer, I think, was uncomfortable and almost told me that one time in, in the hallway, like, that she was like this giddy girl while these awful uh, you know, details were coming out about what, what she did to her own children. And, and I remember seeing you and just everything that you were going through being there at the end. I, are you emotionally ready for the sentencing? I mean, how, how are you feeling? Um, I, am, I am feeling pretty emotional. Um, I'm still in the process of finishing up my uh, impact statement. And I just, you know, I I don't know that there's a way really to prepare completely for something like this. I think it's one of those things where you go in there and you just want to be, you know, stoic and to be able to share your truth and your feelings. And then you get in there and there's a huge emotional component here. And, um, you know, I, I lost my niece, our, fa- our entire family has been impacted by it. It has had a huge ripple effect. Um, I lost my sister, who is Tammy's mother, last month. And um, there's that component. Um, her family, we're, we are all still grieving that. And uh, especially, you know, her kids and grandkids and her husband, Ron, Um so I, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to keep it together at the same time. I know that I'm an emotional person, and um, you may see some tears there and some anger. I just don't 
know what to expect of myself, to be honest. Yeah, I understand. I mean, we don't always know how we'll react. I'm sorry, Vicky. I didn't realize um, that you lost your sister just last month. I, I didn't realize that. Yeah, Tammy's um, mom passed away uh, in June. And uh, so that's just a, another thing that the family is dealing with. Um, it's a huge loss. Uh, she was just such a focus and centerpiece of our family. She's the oldest sibling. And um, yeah, we, we are just dealing with that. And uh, we are still in mourning. There's just no other way to put it. Well, you're a strong woman. Um, I, I remember during the trial sort of getting this feeling like um, like Lori had a wall up, like like she wasn't absorbing what was being said in court. Um, I don't know if she was just in, in denial, if that's what that was. But I, I wonder if at the sentencing she'll finally take some of this in. Like like when you give your statement, will she actually absorb the, the pain that she's caused? I, I wonder that uh, almost daily. I just don't understand how somebody can kill their children, be convicted of it, and then also another person who is a mother and a grandmother and a family member and have actually a, no reaction of remorse or I, I just, when I look at her, I'm so curious about, does she, is this an act? Is this, um, I, uh, I just, don't, you know, I don't know. I, it's, it's just a mystery to me that she doesn't appear to be at all remorseful. I've almost wondered if it's like a defense mechanism um, because accepting what she did would be so, I don't know, painful for her that maybe as a defense mechanism, she just somehow compartmentalizes it. I don't know. Do you think, Vicky, that she'll speak? Because it almost seemed like during the trial, like there was this feeling like she wanted to speak and the lawyers weren't going to let her testify, but maybe in a sense now she doesn't have much to lose. Do you think she'll, she'll give some kind of statement on Monday? Uh, I mean, I, you know, I noticed that at the end of the trial as well. I, um, I kind of hope she does. I mean, I would like to hear, you know, pro providing it's not, you know, going to make us all crazy with, uh, you know, with what she says, if she has something that is of worth to share with us and, you know, even an apology to her one remaining child would be great. Um, I, I just don't know. I, you know, I would, I'd love for her to, to own up to it and to apologize for the people that she's hurt. Um, I mean, like I said, she has one child left who doesn't want anything to do with her for good reason. And um, if she just would apologize to him, I think that would go a long way towards, at least for her, um, maybe starting to cleanse her soul. Yeah, at least something. Well, Vicki, um, I'll be thinking of you uh, and the rest of the family on Monday. You all have handled yourself with such grace. Um, and I just, I don't know how you do it. Um, but, uh, you know, I won't be there Monday, but I'll be thinking of you and, um, I, I hope everything goes well and that this can help you guys heal too, uh, with everything that you've been through. Hopefully this will be some kind of like finality in a way. I hope, I really hope. 
Thank you. Thank for, you so much. Yeah, thank you for coming on tonight, Vicky. We'll we'll check in with you after the um, yes. the sentencing. Okay, I, I want to bring in Dave Ehrenberg now. He is the state attorney for Palm Beach County, Florida, someone who knows a lot about the sentencing process. He's been in a lot of these kinds of sentencings um, and these kinds of hearings and dealt with the victim impact statements. What do you expect, Dave? First of all, I'm curious what you think. You followed the trial really closely. Do you think Lori will get up there and say something? Well, it's good to be with you, Brian. Um, I think that she needs to, if she has any chance of ever getting anything less than life in prison. I don't think there, quite frankly, is a chance, but, you know, she came across as someone who was callous and without any remorse. And Tammy's aunt, who you just interviewed, was was great in saying that, look, here's someone who committed these atrocities and didn't seem to care. She was smirking in the courtroom. So at the very least, I think she owes it to the victims' families and the victims themselves, her own kids, to at least show some remorse, just to show some humanity and for her own sake to try to get something less than a life sentence by showing some remorse. But, you know, here's someone who actually believes that she was justified in doing it because they were zombies and she's going to live happily ever after in another life with the uh, the gravedigger, as I call him, who will be standing trial next. Yeah, like like I said, I really believe that that is just a um, a defense mechanism. I think that the truth must be seeping in a little bit, but I think she just chooses to believe those things because it's probably the only way she can live with herself. I mean, you mentioned it. It's hard to imagine she wouldn't get life. I mean, she's going to get life, but I think what it comes down to, will it be with the possibility of parole or without the possibility of parole? I mean, is there any chance that she could maybe get out one day or do you think they'll say no way? I think they're going to say no way. I mean, she's lucky she's not facing the death penalty. Remember, originally she was going to be, but then they yeah. took it off the table. And in, in the case that she's going to face in Arizona, she's not subject to the death penalty because it's a conspiracy to commit murder case. So she's lucky that she's going to be able to live the rest of her years, period, and not be executed. So I do not think there's a chance that someone who murdered her two kids and found guilty of conspiracy to commit first degree murder for another innocent person is going to be let out early. Keep in mind, one of her two kids, JJ, had special needs. It's an atrocity what happened. And I think she's going to be incarcerated for the rest of her life. It's interesting you bring up Arizona. She faces the conspiracy to commit murder charges there also um, for the death of her fourth husband, uh, Charles Vallow. How's that going to work? I mean, is are they actually going to send her to Arizona after she gets a life sentence in Idaho? And I mean, is that actually going to happen? Yes, because the state of Arizona has its own interest in prosecuting this case. And Charles Vallow deserves justice, too. There needs to be a trial for his death. And so she will be sent there. And look, what, what would happen if her appeal is granted and she gets a new trial and somehow gets off? You would want there to be justice in Arizona. It's like a safety valve to make sure that she never sees the light of day again. So this happens. Uh, You saw it in a civil case with Harvey Weinstein. Remember, he was found, excuse me, in a criminal case of Harvey Weinstein. He was found guilty in New York. And then afterwards, he sent back to California to face the music there. So this does happen quite frequently. Um, Is it possible? So, like, she'll go to Arizona for the trial and then if she's found guilty, does she then do time in Arizona or do they bring her? How does that even work? 
yeah, with different states are going to work it out. But the uh, the sentence, since it's already been it's going to be imposed in Idaho, will come first. And then technically she'll serve the Arizona uh, sentence after she gets through with her multiple life sentences. So maybe when she thinks she's going to be uh, living the high life with the gravedigger after her three life sentences, it will still have to be delayed somewhat because she's going to have to go to Arizona to carry out one more life sentence after that. Yeah, I mean, so many life sentences. Again, it's like, why not just come clean at the sentencing and really say you're sorry and bring a little peace to these family members? I mean, you, you've tried so many cases. I mean, does that ever happen? Are you ever surprised where, you know, they pled not guilty and then all of a sudden, like, just for their own personal, you know, redemption, they, they come clean at, at the end in the sentencing? These individuals who commit these heinous crimes are sociopaths, and they believe, as you say, I think with their self, with their defense mechanisms, whatever, makes them feel better. And they don't have the emotions that the rest of us do. They don't have compassion or remorse, and they will say anything to save their own hide. And I think that's why there is a chance she gets up and testifies just for her own sake, but to do it for uh, JJ or Ty Lee or, or Tammy? No, no. She she is someone who's different than the rest of us. And I think it's part of her mental health issues. But remember, Idaho doesn't have insanity, uh, an insanity defense. So the best she can come up with here is to perhaps her lawyers can convince the judge because of her mental health problems that she deserves some sort of grace and could be let out early. But that is not going to happen here. She showed no remorse. There is nothing redeemable about her. And I think she's going to serve the rest of her days behind bars. Yeah, that seems like that's the likely outcome of all this. Dave, thank you for coming on tonight. Uh, I've, I worked in, near Dave. I, was in, I can tell you're in your office tonight because I know the background. It's, it's a Friday night, Dave. I mean, come on. You got you to gotta live a little. You got to go out after this or something. Well, I had dinner beforehand, okay. and whenever I go on Ashley's show, I make sure I, I limit to one glass of wine with dinner, and that's it. Uh, <laughs> and, and I did take off the tie, though, to show you this is yeah, a Friday night. Yeah, I can tell it's a Friday night. Okay. Thank you, Dave. Always good to see you. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Brian. Okay, we have to take a, a quick break, but don't go anywhere. Coming up, the wife of Gilgo Beach murder suspect Rex Hurman breaks her silence after returning to the family home. Plus, was their unkept home uh, a warning sign to neighbors? Did it cause some suspicion? We'll talk about it coming up. Tonight, we have a cryptic hint of what Asa Ellerup, better known as Mrs. Rex Hurman, may have seen inside the family's ransacked home in Massapequa Park, when she and the children returned there yesterday. Today, Ellerup told the Daily Mail, quote, I got over the hurdle of what I saw inside. She offered no further explanation, but is also quoted as saying, the sheer depression of what I saw was enough trauma. Whether she's talking about what was found inside her house or the condition of the house, uh, the way it was left after the, the 12-day search by police, that part is still a mystery. I'm guessing it's just the fact that the house was so ransacked. Uh, but were there signs in that house that were missed by Hurman's family all those years, or perhaps missed by neighbors. Joining me now is Dr. Carol Lieberman. Uh, she is a forensic psychiatrist who's provided expert witness testimony in high-profile murder cases, and also uh, Lisa Rybakoff, a polygraph expert and private investigator who's been following this case from the very beginning. Uh, Lisa and Carol, thank you so much for being with us. I want to start with you, Lisa. Uh, what do you make of, of uh, Hurman's wife's comments, the sheer depression of 
what I saw was enough trauma. What do you think she's talking about, Lisa? I would hope that what she's discussing is pertaining to the trauma of going back to the only home that she's known since emigrating from Iceland to the destruction and everything that was turned over while the executed search warrant was done. And again, with regards to search warrants, anything is fair game as long as it fits within the statutes of the search warrant. And we all know that they necessarily, the individual individuals that had executed the search warrant are not responsible for putting everything back where they found it. So I think a lot of it has to do with the turmoil pertaining to the condition of the house, maybe things that were broken that she did hold uh, close and personal to her, maybe some childhood relics of her children were taken. So there could be a lot of family history that not only is destroyed because of the alleged actions of their father and husband, but also because of the execution of the search warrant. Yeah, I just can't imagine what that family is going through. I really can't. And I cannot imagine what the inside of that house looked like. They were there for almost two weeks going through everything. We saw what they did in the yard, digging up the yard. Imagine what they did in the house. Um, It's It's hard to imagine what the family walked into. Carol, you say consistent observations of unusual behavior over time is the best indicator uh, of of whether or not a person is is living a a double life. Explain what, what you mean by that. Well, in other words, there are a number of different signs that might um, make you or should make you suspicious that someone is a serial killer. But no one sign in particular. I mean, for example, the basic sign is that the person is odd. He doesn't seem to fit together all his pieces and doesn't seem to fit in the uh, surroundings. And, you know, what's interesting is that when they've been talking to people in his school, um, all through his school years, and they, they talk about that, that he didn't seem to fit in, he was odd and so on. Um, Huberman's wife is an enigma. I think she's very fascinating. Mm. Um, you know, I don't think that she didn't know anything. Um, I'm not saying that she knew that she had any evidence or that she knew specifically that he murdered these women, but, um, they've been married for over 25 years when couples are married and one of the people has an affair. The other person really knows deep down. They may not see any evidence, but they know that there's something going on. And so I think that she knew that that there was a dark side to him and that there was something dark going on. But, you know, part of it is denial. She didn't want to know. And part of it is, and this is kind of interesting, that she was living in a fantasy world of her own. You know, she was very involved in comic books. She went to comic book conventions and so on. And she also gave herself a name for social media, Elven Maiden, which is a name from a fantasy video game. So it seems like she was just wrapped up in comics and video games and didn't want to see what was going on with her husband. Yeah, I've wondered, you know, once all of this went down and he was arrested, Does she then think back to times like, oh, my gosh, I think this was weird, something maybe she didn't realize at the time, but now sort of makes sense. Lisa, what else do we know about her? I mean, um, Carol brought up the fact that she was a comic book fan and that she had this interesting social media presence. But do we know much else what she did for a living or, you know, what her life was like? The only information that we've been made part of the public is that she did Uh, maintain this comic book lifestyle. She did have this alternate sense of reality. And the first thing that I would think of as an investigator is that clearly she has some sort of internal trauma where she's creating a secondary lifestyle to almost suppress what she actually has going on in her day-to-day life, routines, family, interpersonal relationships. I mean, 
the only thing that we've seen and learned so far, or at least one of the main facts, is that she was going ahead and using food stamps to go ahead and purchase groceries. Um, we don't know what the financial status is of the family itself, as well as their assets pertaining to properties, real estate, as well as their current financial standings. But for her to possibly be under financial control at the same time also creates a level of trauma where she doesn't have the capability of buying herself expenditures for her children or herself or possibly living a lifestyle that she does see that her neighbors are also residing in. That's interesting you bring up the food stamps. Uh, obviously, since the beginning of this, the house has been a focal point. The fact that the house is in disrepair and it, it, you know it's pretty shabby when, when you think about an architect who works in New York City and was doing these interviews with shows. Um, what do you make of it, Carol? I mean, what does that mean? I mean, did they have no money? What was was he hoarding the money? Like, what do you think was happening behind the scenes? That is um, also somewhat of a mystery because, on the one hand, he's been reported as having millions, you know, having property. Yeah, multiple That's- properties. Yeah. And on the other hand, she was using food stamps. So was it that he wasn't giving her any of the money or was it that, you know, I suspect that he wasn't quite as successful as he wanted people to believe that that was somewhat of a front too, you know, because he, when he, he was uh, interviewed by Bonjour Realty, which is a very, that interview really gives a lot of information about him. And, you know, one of the th- things that it showed was that he was particularly proud of the work that he did as a consultant to um, people, architects and, and building owners and so on, helping them get around the codes, the building codes, like, which is so interesting because it's so sociopathic, you know, it goes along with him being a serial killer. Um, he enjoyed, he, in the interview, you could tell he could really enjoyed, you know, going around the, the city codes and helping people do that and so on. Um, so I think maybe he wasn't quite as successful. You know, when someone has a, a, a when it's a professional, who has a business like that. It was his business. Um, There are good times, you know, times of plenty and times when they're not so good. So it's hard really to know about um, what his real financial situation is. Yeah, it'll be interesting as those details come out. But at the end of the day, I mean, obviously, I I feel for for that family. Um, I, I just can't imagine... You know, they didn't know from all indications what was that he was a, you know, a psycho killer. He's accused of that. Um, and uh, I just can't imagine them now having to figure out how to rebuild their their life. Uh, Carol Lieberman, uh, Lisa Ribikoff, thank you both so much for coming on with us on a Friday night. We really appreciate it. Thank you. OK, still to come tonight, criminal charges today for the woman who started a nationwide panic and faked her own kidnapping. There's the mugshot that looks more like a yearbook photo. Carly Russell arrested by law enforcement officials who did not appreciate being sent on a wild goose chase. Details on the charges coming up, the possible punishment. Will she have to pay? And it's a lot of money if she has to pay. We'll discuss it next. Missing black women and minorities do not get the same media coverage as white women. It's just a fact. It's the reason we have made a point to profile missing minorities on our weekly News Nation Missing series. It's also the reason I think so many of us were quick to jump into action when Carly Russell went missing in Alabama because she deserved the same amount of coverage and the same amount of people searching for her as a white woman would get. 
But then the entire case just unraveled. Carly Russell faked her own kidnapping, and now she is formally charged with two misdemeanors. That just happened today. Now, first of all, no one should get, uh, no one should let this rare case and, and what Carly did impact how intensely they will cover and care about future missing cases, especially minority women who go missing because they need the coverage and they need the attention. But back to Carly, the Alabama woman called 911, you remember, on July 13th and said she saw a child in trouble beside a busy highway. She later claimed that she was abducted. What followed was a huge search effort and thousands and thousands of dollars in donations. But after two days, we learned that Russell made the whole thing up. The charges? A misdemeanor count of false reporting an incident and a misdemeanor count of lying to law enforcement. And then came the mugshot today, which, I mean, I think Twitter basically exploded when this thing came out. Carly was smiling, uh, which really confused a lot of people. Looked like a yearbook photo. Um, Did not look like uh, a mugshot. And I think a lot of people were just even more outraged when they saw this. Police and state officials said today her actions go well beyond her own personal behavior. Her decisions that night created panic and alarm for the citizens of our city and even across the nation as the concern grew that a kidnapper was on the loose using a small child as bait. Numerous law enforcement agencies, both local and federal, began working tirelessly not only to bring Carly home to her family, but locate a kidnapper that we know now never existed. One thing I would add is that we don't see this as a victimless crime. There are significant hours spent resources expended as a result of this investigation. And not only that, but the many men and women who are civilians that wore those yellow vests on a hot afternoon and evening looking for someone they thought was abducted, trying to be of assistance. Uh, We intend to fully prosecute this case and look forward to working with the Hoover Police Department moving forward. Wow, what an ending to all of this, to think that we all thought this woman was missing. Let's bring in Susan Filan. She is a trial attorney and former prosecutor for the state of Connecticut. Thank you for being with us, Susan. My first question for you is, I think people were upset that it was just two misdemeanors. They wanted, like, serious charges. Is this really all that they could do? Is, is this all the law would allow? Yeah, that's all the law that's on the books at this time, although I understand law enforcement is seeking with the legislator to look for enhanced uh, criminal statutes in the future. But right now, this is all there is. And traditionally, um, false reporting was for if you lied about your car being stolen because you were doing an insurance hope. They weren't traditionally connected to very, very serious Crimes like this one, kidnapping, is about as serious as you can get. So I understand law enforcement is very frustrated, but as it stands now, this is all there is to charge her with. And look, I mean, when I saw the mugshot of her smiling, um, like I couldn't help but feel angry having covered the case and just knowing all the the resources that went into it. Um, But like, and maybe some people will think I'm crazy, but this is just my nature. But there is also a part of me that like just feels sort of bad for her, like, I don't know what was going on in her life or what is going on in her life um, to have caused her to do this. I don't know if that's something that police would take into account, but do you know what I mean, Susan? 
I do. It's a very confusing case because first you hear that she's been kidnapped and your heart goes out and you're reading the news to see if there's any updates on her. Then you read the interviews of her kind of don't match up and there's no way to corroborate or verify anything she says. Then her story very rapidly falls apart and then she admits that she made the whole things up. Of course you're angry. Like you, your emotions got um, riled up over this and your concern and, and law enforcement, the hours and the work that they put in. But to do something like this, something's got to be wrong with her. And so that's where the sympathy kind of attaches. And before you know, we condemn her, it, you sort of have to understand more about what's going on with her. I'm pretty sure she's going to have some kind of a mental illness defense. Yeah. And, and the parents, too. I mean, they, you know, they were on the Today Show and they were doing a lot of media and I just can't imagine like what they're feeling like right now. I mean, what what a what an embarrassment for the family. What about the money, though? I mean, all of this cost a lot of money. I mean, you see you can see on the screen right now all the people that were out there searching. I mean, this was like a massive nationwide effort. The FBI was involved um, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Do you think that they could go after her for that? I think they could. That could be part of her criminal penalty. I mean, I think finding her guilty isn't going to be difficult. She's admitted to it. But what's the punishment? Is it imprisonment? Is it the fine? Is it probation with community service or restitution for the out-of-pocket money? But again, the chances of her having money for the state to recover are probably pretty low. There may, in addition, be a civil case against her. But you you can't get blood from a stone if she doesn't have it. She doesn't have it. We don't have debtors' prisons in this country. But they, I, I thought this was so interesting when they had the uh, press conference today, Susan, they had the attorney general there, the state attorney general um, at that press conference. And I was just thinking like, gosh, when has this probably ever happened for two misdemeanors? I'm sure her lawyer and her family must be thinking like, must be nervous right now. And they should be. I mean, this is two misdemeanors, but the, the, the crime, not in terms of the what's charged, but what she did is very, very, very serious. And a message has to be sent to citizens that you cannot prank law enforcement. You cannot hoax law enforcement. You know, the, the boy who cried wolf, th- these police officers and law enforcement officers were pulled off of cases that needed their attention, right. legit victims. And so it's very, very, very serious to prank and hoax law enforcement. Yeah. And a lot of times you won't see someone go to go to jail for a misdemeanor. But I, I could I mean, I could see them, you know, trying to make a point in this case and her, her serving some jail time, don't you think? They'll argue for it. The chances of her getting it, in my opinion, are very low. She's got no prior criminal history. It wasn't a violent offense. I mean, there's kind of an algorithm for who you imprison. And I don't necessarily see this as a prison case. I think it's going to be a serious case to make an example of. But the punishment may not match the outrage that law enforcement rightly and justifiably feels about how they were used, pranked and hoaxed in this case. I just hope overall people will still take other missing persons cases seriously. Um, I just hope this doesn't like sort of like you said, the boy who cried wolf uh, sort of feeling about the whole thing. I wouldn't worry about laying, you know, the whole history of what's going to happen to missing, murdered and abducted women at her feet. I I think she's going to have no impact whatsoever on it. I think this was her own cry for help cry for attention. I, I have no idea what's going on with her, but you know, she's going to be made an example so people don't do this, but I don't think it's going to derail any future case. Yeah, I hope not. That, that's a good point. Uh, Susan, thank you so much for coming on with us tonight. We really appreciate it. You bet. Thanks for okay. having me. And as we mentioned, uh, there are scores of actual missing women whose disappearances are not hoaxes. There are so many of them whose families right now need the nation's help and need the prayers and just need people to look 
want to show you a few of them right now. Sierra Chapman, 30 years old, who went missing near Dayton, Ohio last December. Uh, police found her car, but no clues. 33-year-old Devin Asakoya Cooper vanished in August two summers ago from Columbus, Ohio. She went to a store and just never returned home, and that, that one made no sense. Uh, and Donita Wilkerson was last seen in June 2020 in Evansville, Indiana. Her family reported her missing when she did not call her mother that night, and she called her mom every single night. And that's another one where the family says she would have never just disappeared. So hopefully people can look at those photos and, and put some effort into those cases, too. The FBI is offering rewards for information on all of those cases. Uh, so if you know anything, uh, make sure and call authorities right away. OK, we'll be right back after this break. Backlash against the bombshell UFO hearings has officially begun just two days later. The head of the Pentagon's newly formed UFO office took to his own personal linked account last night to slam whistleblower David Grush's testimony in a lengthy post that has actually since been deleted. Sean Kirkpatrick, head of Arrow, wrote, I cannot let yesterday's hearings pass without sharing how insulting it was to the officers of the Department of Defense and the intelligence community. He adds, contrary to assertions made in the hearing, the central source of those allegations has refused to speak with Arrow. Arrow is the all-domain anomaly resolution office. Kirkpatrick uh, also pushed back on Grush's claims of retaliation threats and shot down Grush's claims of a secret research program. He writes, to be clear, Arrow has yet to find any credible evidence to support the allegations of any reverse engineering program for non-human technology. And he closed by saying, to be clear, none of the whistleblowers from yesterday's hearing ever worked for Arrow or were ever a representative to Arrow, contrary to statements made in testimony and in the media. That's a lot to unpack. I want to bring in Ben Hansen. He's a former federal agent and currently the host of Discovery Plus's UFOs, uh, UFO Witness. Ben, thank you for being with us. First of all, what did you make of this statement from Kirkpatrick? I thought it was interesting that like it was released on his LinkedIn account, but then deleted. I mean, someone of, of that uh, you know, rank within the, within the government, I would have thought it would have been some kind of official statement. Yeah, Brian, I mean, it, it was kind of surprising. And in his defense, he did preface it by saying that this is my personal opinion. This is not an official, um, you know, declaration by the department. But it, it seems like there's a lot of emotion behind that. And I think you kind of maybe my theories, if you go back to um, his first initiation into this, remember, he co-authored a paper with a Harvard professor, Avi Loeb, um, that the media, most media, kind of blew that out of proportion where they, they said that he was talking about this asteroid coming towards Earth as possibly being a mothership from another galaxy, right? And so maybe he's a little defensive. Um, you could see that in the uh, statement that he made. He felt like he needed to defend his reputation and that of ERA, what they're doing. Um, and, and you also, I, I think, in, in the hearing, is he, he's asserting that Arrow was not told certain things that Congress was provided, or that Congress didn't provide him an Arrow with certain uh, information. And so um, I would see this sort of like a, what we call an ex parte hearing, right? So if you have a restraining order against someone, the accusing party shows up first without the other party being present. Um, I'm not sure if that's typically how things run on an expert in, in the hearing process, but um, a lot to unpack because then you have uh, Susan Goff, who is the Pentagon spokesperson, making a statement just today 
saying um, basically one part that I found was really interesting. Uh, she says these individuals, meaning the whistleblowers, are still obligated to protect classified information, may not disclose classified information to the media, the public, or anyone who is, does not have proper access, including appropriate clearance level, and need to know and this extends to public congressional hearings. It's almost as if they're insinuating that some of what Grush or maybe the other witnesses were saying was not cleared by them. So um, it's a lot of, you know, tit for tat going back and forth. It's hard to say. I think they should just sit down and, you know, have a good milkshake, work this out. Yeah. It's very important. Yeah, that, that statement from the Pentagon almost, I don't want to use the word threat, but it did kind of just feel like they were trying to send a strong message there, like, hey, don't forget you know, don't get too excited and forget that you, um, you know, took this oath and had these high levels of classification and you need to uphold that. Um, but, but David yeah. Grush has explained in the past that, um, that, you know, there's a reason he didn't go to Arrow and filed the official whistleblower complaint. I mean, he, he did that for a reason, right? There's a reason he took that process instead of going straight to Arrow. Yeah, and you, you get a sense of that because uh, I, I think when when he first came out on on uh, News Nation and gave um, his interview, he was saying, "Look, I did provide this information to Kirkpatrick. Um, he has my phone number. He knows you know how to get a hold of me. I don't know if he's contacted these witnesses." Um, so I think it was very professionally done, but you can tell that he was very disappointed and discouraged, and he felt like it wasn't going anywhere. So that's why he went to the inspector general. Yeah, it's right? interesting. Um, we only have a, a, about a minute left, but we also reached out to a, a lot of government contractors today because one of um, the things that's come up with Grush and, and other whistleblowers is that they believe there's a secret program and there could be government contractors involved. We got a response from Lockheed Martin. They said, questions about UAPs are best addressed by the U.S. government. And that was it for the statement. But I don't know. I just, I just thought that was kind of interesting. I wonder if these, these contractors are also getting a little nervous now with all this coverage. It's very possible. I mean, we've heard the rumors and, and right now they're rumors, but in the next weeks and months that are, are uh, you know, we're going to see more hearings and uh, I think it's going to come to light pretty quickly about who knows what. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Ben Hansen, thanks for coming on tonight. I look forward to meeting you in person, by the way. Uh, you're coming in for our special, we've got a special Sunday night, nine o'clock Eastern roundtable. We're going to go over, over everything on this topic, two hours. So I look forward to, uh, to you being here and, and thanks for coming on tonight. I look forward to it as well. Thank you. Okay, coming up, it is not just us excited about the historic UFO whistleblower hearings that happened in Congress this past uh, week. Wait until you hear which famous band leader also thinks, and there's a hint, that aliens exist. We've got that coming up next. The impact of a meal goes well beyond feeding our bodies because feeling full can sound like this. How did the interview go? I did it. I got the job. I can't believe it. And like this. Mom, I got first place at the science fair with my volcano project. That's amazing, sweetie. Congratulations. Because when people are fed, futures are nourished and everyone deserves to live a full life. Join the movement to end hunger at feedingamerica.org slash act now. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Do you want to make a difference in your community? Volunteer with your local fire department. Operational and non-operational positions are available, and training is provided. Anyone can be a volunteer. You just need the heart and drive to make a difference where it's needed most. When your community needs you, will you be there to answer the call? 
Learn more about volunteering at makemeafirefighter.org. That's makemeafirefighter.org. For my friend, Luke. For my mom, Paulette. And for my mom, Finia. For my husband, Helmet. Honor someone you love by learning the warning signs of stroke. If you see face drooping, arm weakness, or speech difficulty, it's time to call 911. A stroke can happen to anyone at any age. Be ready to spot a stroke fast. Learn more from the American Stroke Association at stroke.org. I'm a pretty great multitasker. I can wash dishes and do laundry. I can roller skate while walking my dog. I can even order lunch while doing my homework. But I can't use my phone while driving. A distracted driver is one of the leading causes of death in the United States. So when it comes to driving, please, don't be a multitasker. Don't drive distracted. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. We are the Veterans Health Administration, and our hands provide life-changing care to over 9 million veterans across more than 1,200 facilities nationwide. Join hands with us to make an impact in your community. Learn more at vacareers.va.gov. More than 80 million Americans depend on AM radio for their news, traffic, weather, sports, and a community connection. It's the backbone of the emergency alert system, keeping us safe in dangerous times. It's critical that we keep AM radio in cars, because when cell and Internet services are down, this free emergency service could be your only lifeline. Text AM to 52886 and tell Congress we need AM radio in cars. This message furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters. Get fact-based, unbiased news coverage 24-7 on the NewsNation app or on Alexa. Just say, play NewsNation. Some people won't give you the real talk on drugs, but it's time we know the facts. Fentanyl is killing people. It's a powerful opioid, often made illegally and commonly mixed with illicit drugs. It can even be pressed into counterfeit pills that resemble prescription medications. Just two milligrams, about the size of a few grains of sand, could potentially be lethal. This isn't an ad to scare you. But it is an ad to make you think twice. Get the facts. Go to realdealonfentanyl.com. This message is brought to you by the Ad Council. When you're diagnosed with Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis, you just want to feel better. Steroids help get my symptoms under control, but they come with problems and long-term risks. I need to look out for my future health. The Crohn's and Colitis Foundation changed everything. They encouraged me to take action and even helped me find a specialist. We now have a plan that works for today and tomorrow. Don't put off finding an answer. Spill your guts. Learn more at spillyourguts.org. While serving in Iraq, our vehicle was hit. They didn't think I was going to make it. I'm LaToya Lucas, and I'm a veteran. I had to learn to live with the scars, both visible and invisible. DAV helps veterans like LaToya get the benefits they've earned. They help more than a million veterans every year. My victory is overcoming my wounds so I can help other veterans. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. It is not just us excited to see Congress taking action after David Grush's exclusive interview right here on News Nation. Tom DeLong, founding member of Blink-182, has long believed that, like his hit 1999 song suggests, aliens exist. On Wednesday, after the historic congressional hearing, he took to Instagram to write in part, the UFO hearings today made history. I'm so proud of the three witnesses today that blew the lid off the UFO secrecy that has been intact for decades. Graves, Fravor, and Grush 
our heroes. Tom is also the co-founder of the To the Stars Academy of Arts and Sciences dedicated to investigating extraterrestrial life. And we hope he'll tune into our special Sunday night, 9 o'clock Eastern, two hours. Don't miss it. We're not alone. A roundtable. We've got Nick Pope, Ross Colthart, Ryan Graves, Ben Hansen, a ton more. We'll see you Sunday night. Have a great weekend and we'll see you later. Bye. Chris Cuomo, it's Friday. We're live, so let's get after it. I'll explain this in a second. Donald Trump is on indictment watch.